two, Rogue Pope episode number 16. Don't call it a comeback. Uh, I am your co-host, Sean Birch, and as always, I'm joined by the Roto Pope himself, Aaron Sauceda. Aaron, what's popping, bud? Sean, good to be with you. Good to be with you. Uh, it's been, what, like two months that we just said? I, don't, I can't believe, I feel like time flies so fast between some of these. We got we to gotta be more frequent with these. No doubt about it. Um, let me just, I'll give you a quick recap of some stuff that happened since we've been, uh, since we've taken our sabbatical, I guess you could say. Um, so the Dodgers blew yet another World Series, which is becoming a semi-annual or annual tradition at this point. Um, you and me both went on and returned from international trips. Uh, we celebrated Christmas and New Year's, which I will say New Year's is still my least favorite holiday by a country mile. I knew we were going to go there. You knew I was going to say it's my least favorite holiday? Oh, yeah. Dude, I hate it. We can get into that if you want. Yeah, um, we will, but yeah, keep going. I think the only other thing really worth mentioning is James Harden, I think, has officially overtaken Kobe as the second greatest shooting guard of all time in the last few weeks. Interesting. Uh, any, anything else I'm missing over the last two months? Um, I think uh, I want to say, if you didn't touch on it already, that um, we made it up to Boise. We did a Boise trip, which was fun. That's right. Um, yeah, I, th- I mean, obviously we had Christmas and uh, the holidays and everything, um, but I think you, I think you covered it pretty nicely. Well, here, let me get into some of that real quick then. So, you know, I've been saying this for like a decade at this point that I, I absolutely loathe New Year's yeah. Eve. You're like forced to have a good time. And if you're not, people think there's something wrong with you. I just <laughs> do not like it at all. Yeah. Um, where do you kind of fall on that spectrum? Are you a fan of it or do you kind of, are you on my side yeah. of this? I feel like it's kind of a classic take from you um, just because it is potentially that- over high. I, think- <laughs> I feel like it's like uh, it's like a fairly hyped holiday so i think your just natural inclination is to maybe find some some holes in it but uh, funny i mean i even though i'm saying that i'm actually somewhat on your side on this i don't i'm not all the way i don't loathe it by any means but i do get kind of annoyed sometimes just like oh what are you doing for new year's what are you doing for new year's and especially now you know nowadays that i have a a child i was just like well i'm not you know i'm not really doing a ton i'm kind of just staying in uh and stuff like that so i never never really feel great about that for whatever reason but um yeah it's funny enough i was asking jadira this year i was like yeah i wonder if um I wonder if like Sean's looking forward to New Year's because I know he usually hates it, but you know, now he's, uh, you know, he's got like, you know, serious girlfriend. I wonder if like there's anything to that that makes it a little sweeter or anything like that. So I'm glad that you're bringing it up because I'm curious, like, did that change your mindset at all on it or just the exact same thing? It's really no different than any other year. Sure. So, okay. First thing I want to backtrack and say, usually you would be right. If it is a very like, you know, high profile holiday or just anything that's hype, <laughs> you're right. My natural inclination is to go the complete opposite direction on it. <laughs> Having said that, that actually isn't the case with holidays, I think, because, for instance, Christmas, you cannot get more hyped than Christmas because the second Thanksgiving ends, anywhere you go, they're playing Christmas music. And right. guess what? I love Christmas. So okay, what? Yeah, I love it, man. So I, maybe it goes back to when you and me were these you know, young Catholic kids going to Mass. I don't know. But <laughs> – yeah, maybe that's not it, but <laughs> I just can't stand it for its, you know, just because of the holiday itself. Nothing to do with the hype around it. Um, you are right, though. I actually did have a great time this year relative to other nights. There you go. Um, me and Maddie, my girl, we were in uh, Lake Tahoe where our family has a place. And oh, was it just you two? It yeah, just, for, for New Year's Eve, even. It was just us for, yeah, about three, four days there on our own. And it, it was great. We went out to this like bougie restaurant called Garwoods, um, and, and we got. You guys always do. <laughs> I know, I know, but in particular, this was like a bit bougie for us on a, <laughs> for New Year's. But I didn't even get that sloshed because I drove us there, and dude, oh. 
um, Ubers on the way back. It was only like a six-hour drive. Yeah, you got to be careful. Did you pay for that or you just saw it and you're like, I'm not doing that? No, no, no. We saw that and I was like, that's it. I'm not drinking anymore. (laughs) I'm driving us home. Yeah. Yeah, Ubers are on on New Year's Eve are crazy. Just the the multipliers, I think they call them the surges, just go nuts. Dude, it was murder. But um, thankfully, I avoided that. Um, The only other like real highlight from New Year's, besides it just being a great trip, it was my first time in Tahoe. Um, and I was texting with you about this a little bit. Um, I went snow skiing for the first time in my life. Yeah, I've been water skiing since I was like seven. Um, but snow skiing was completely um, opposite for me, just like the, the form of it. And I, I, dude, I would challenge anyone to show me a tape of someone doing worse on their first time trying to snow ski. I was embarrassing out there. And, like I had these kids like just completely like, you know, oh. boat racing me down the mountain. I kept falling every 30 seconds. Maddie was getting... I at first she was like getting pissed after a while. <laughs> I feel like you're probably being too hard on yourself though. Cause I bet you, you yeah. just had like, I don't know. I feel like you, you had higher expectations of yourself just because you know, you're like relatively coordinated athletic and you're a really good water skier. And so you're like, Oh, I mean, it's gotta be at least be somewhat transferable, right? I have to at least be like adequate at this. And so I think right. maybe relative to that. Yeah. I didn't go in with like, I wasn't, I didn't have a big head or anything, but I thought, okay, look, like how much different can it really be from water skiing? And dude, I could not stop. Like every two seconds, Maddie was yelling pizza at me, which is like the form where he like you know, <laughs> your toes inward, like pigeon toe, try and stop. Dude, I couldn't stop I kept running into trees and into like embankments and stuff. Yeah. Um, it doesn't look it doesn't look comfortable. I mean, this is coming from someone who'd who'd probably be far worse than you. I, I've never been coordinated, never could skate growing up or any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, although I'm like a self-proclaimed sort of competent snowboarder. I've only been one time, mind you, but I think it was that's why I was saying I think it was relative to expectations because my expectations were so low when I went snowboarding that I was like, look, if I can even just go down a slope maybe halfway down without falling, then that's a huge win for me. So that that was a big win just because, yeah, I was able to kind of stay up. So like my expectations were so low, it wasn't, you know, hard to at least meet some like, you know, minimum amount of competence. Whereas I think your expectations, to, especially since Maddie's really good, uh, were probably a little bit higher and just probably felt more frustrating because of it. Oh yeah, dude. So I couldn't even like get up half the time once I was on the ground. It was just I look like a seventy-five uh, year <laughs> life flirt. And it looks it went, hard though. It looks hard with those. You got the fucking skis down there. Like they're super long and they're separate. And I just feel like your legs are coming apart. Yeah, I felt like I couldn't control my body. So anyway, after like you know a half hour of just struggling on on the way down, getting nowhere, I told Maddie like, "Go, go do your thing. I will either walk down or get down on my own pace." I started walking along the side of the mountain for a minute. In compounding matters, some kid, some you know, some sarcastic kid, <laughs> fourteen years old at the oldest, comes barreling down the mountain, runs right into the back of me as I'm walking oh, down. My, oh god! <laughs> again, uh, I finally go. Okay, maybe I should just ski down, get this over with. But then I continue eating shit halfway down uh, the mountain. Oh man! Well, uh, sorry to hear about that. It sounds like at least for the, on the whole, though, it was a good, it was a good Tahoe trip. Which I hear Tahoe is really nice. A lot of the the Bay people like it. It was bougie, man. I really liked it up yeah. there. Um, speaking of trips, real quick, is, do you have anything to weigh in? Uh, I know since we last did our pod, you went to London for a brief trip for work. Was there anything yeah. you wanted to weigh in there? <laughs> not, no, not particularly. Other than, uh, I mean, look, I, I worked most of it. It's not like I got to see much of the city. So I've I've now spent like what? Because uh, this was four nights, and I spent previously three nights with you actually, and then uh, Jadir and Olivia were there as well. So I spent seven nights in London right now. So I'm I'm far from, you know an expert or even I don't really know the city at all, but I think it's like kind of overrated, man. Is it really that good? Um, It's fine, but I think, I don't know. I just went, you know, I went to at least uh, some of the other major European cities, uh, Western Europe. And um, I just, I don't know. I liked them a lot more. I thought they were a little more interesting. I think London is just kind of like 
more no, it's fine yeah it's fine but there's a city in the world that has more history than london and out of all the people, i'd say history i just said interesting but yeah i, I hear you isn't history interesting i feel like those are synonymous yeah that's true and also i i thought they would be like perfect for you because you're like the hotshot like finance guy in my life and it's <laughs> the finance capital of europe is it not uh, I guess so. Yeah, within Europe. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's 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 all right. It's fine. Um, I I mean I liked it actually. I, I stayed in a different part this time too, a little bit further away from, I guess the more touristy things, just because that's where the the office that I was going to was. So it was it was it was fine. I like actually liked the trip. I just mean like it's like I, I just don't really see myself going out, like going out of my way to go visit London again. That's I guess all it really is. Um, yeah. Fair enough. I I can't really push back on it. We didn't really have a great time when we went there. Right. Real quick, though, so it's, it's, you know, obviously London, it's it's one of the most expensive cities in the world. I actually wanted to ask you a question. I, I've been dying to ask you for about three four days now. It has something to do tangentially with money, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, look, Nike is, you know, retroing some of these old Kobe shoes now. They started last year with the first Kobe shoe. Um, and in a few months, they're going to start putting out the Kobe 4, which you and me loved That's back in shoe, yeah. when it first came out. If I if I'm not mis well, actually no I might be wrong on this I think the threes were the first low tops no it was the fours though right it was the fours yeah and you you had it a was. pair of I did you wore them for about half a decade I did I th- they're still probably in the rotation right they're your outdoor shoes I don't know where they are anymore I I, I think I might have got rid of them unfortunately I kind of I kind of pissed that I did though yeah I don't I don't know where they are okay so look here's the thing they're gonna be coming out and when they do come back out they're gonna be running 175 bucks a pop. And I've already kind of just like mentally given up and said, you know what? I know I'm not only buying one, I'm probably buying two. Of the <laughs> two? I only play basketball once a week on average. So <laughs> there's no like, uh, you know, rationalizing this. It is just a completely stupid move, but I'm going to do it for nostalgia. I wanted to know, are you Aaron Sauceda, the person I know that does Excel spreadsheets for pretty much everything in their life. Are you going to be able to find a way to bite the bullet and actually pay for a $175 pair of Nike Retro 4s? Uh, I don't think I am. No. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm like you, I play basketball like once a week max if I'm lucky. Uh, I've already got a pretty nice pair. I think I got a pair of eights that are, that are pretty nice still. And oh, those I are know, I just, at this point too. <laughs> I know. I don't really go through basketball. I, I don't play enough. That's the, that's the, the point is I don't really need basketball shoes. And um, I mean, 175 is actually not that bad only because I feel like um, when they were new, they probably weren't that far off from that. Maybe it was like more like 140, right. 150. So in that sense, it's not terrible. But don't you have like a new pair of like Kyrie's and you're saying talking two of these? Well, so like, here's the thing is like, I'm going to like want one to put on ice as they say, right? I'm going to have them in the archives in case the <laughs> one I'm using gets fucked up, which it will. Um, I don't know, dude. Like I've just kind of mentally accepted that I'm going to drop a lot of money on these and that's that. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Well, I can't, can't say that I, uh, I share your same sentiments on it, but Hey, might as well knock yourself out. And why, why don't you just throw on another pair of nice boots in there while you're at it? I mean, dude, don't tempt me. I've been looking for a pair of boots for a while. <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think you'll find me do. I mean, hey, if if I needed a pair, like, there'd be a great opportunity. But you know, I'm not gonna, not gonna buy a pair of shoes that I, I don't need at all. All right, fair enough. But look, so the reason I brought it up, and I guess this will be a nice segue into actual fantasy talk, which is the reason we do this pod to begin with. Um, the reason I brought it up is because you actually do have a little more spare change lying around now because against all odds, you actually won a very competitive fantasy football league that we're in and you won, you know, what more than 1200 bucks for it. Um, and the reason I say it was against all odds is because you spent $86 on a dead player. You spent 
it on Le'Veon Bell and you still found a way to win. So, you know, let's go through it. How did you pull it off? <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I was gonna say I, li- I like the qualifier up against all odds, but I think I mean, ju- I mean, just generally speaking, what there's like twelve teams, so just any given year, your chances aren't necessarily all that great. And then I would agree, um, the eighty six dollar Lev Bell buy. I mean, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it the way you looked at it. It was like, whoa, you still won even beside doing that, or you can look at it as like, what the hell are you thinking, kind of thing. So I, I, I fall maybe somewhere in between where I guess it's cool to get some credit for still winning, but you should also probably get a little bit of flack for doing it in the first place. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, it was, it, it ended up being a pretty good year. I think I, I did look into this a little bit and I, I think there's probably, there's really, I would say three primary moves. I would say actually probably four primary moves that, that really enabled it. And I'll go in order here. So the first one was, uh, getting Mahomes for $2 and I feel particularly good about this one. Our Mahomes as me and Eric like to call him. Um, Eric always acts like I act like I discovered him, which I did not, but what I did do before this draft in particular was I remember talking to my co or Suds, my brother, and I was just telling him, like, look, I, I think Mahomes is just kind of a get-it-all-cost guy at this point for me. Because this was also my last draft my last draft of, the se- draft of the season, so I think it had something to do with that, just the fact that I didn't have him anywhere. Um, and just based on a number of factors, I was like, there's just no way we can't leave this draft without him. So I remember we actually got a little bit of chuckles, oddly enough, just for bidding $2 on him because someone else put him out for one, and we put two on him. Um so I think yeah, been, come on, who's chuckling about two dollars? I know that's. Yeah, I, I think it was. I think it was uh, TJK Shady Kamish. Just I don't know. Yeah, it was. Um, but yeah, it ended up being you know obviously a, a really good buy. Um, and there were a couple others like that too. Like Kenny Galladay was another guy really like kind of high on my list. Get it all cost sort of guy. And I can say get it all cost. I just basically mean like they're so cheap you really can't leave your draft without these kinds of guys. So he was another guy I got for two dollars. So you know not necessarily he didn't really have like a Mahomes level kind of year, but really solid for $2. And then um, there was really two other moves I think enabled this. So the, uh, I had been pretty high on Tyler Boyd going into the year, not, not really high, but I think just relative maybe to the market. And so after he had shown some initial signs of life after week two, I picked him up for free. So you can kind of see there how just between those three, I was able to piece together fairly. I mean, Mahomes was obviously like the most elite production you can get and you got that pretty cheap. And then getting Galladay and Boyd, basically two wide receiver twos for roughly for free is, you know, a pretty big way to buoy your team and then i think that the final one to two pieces of that puzzle were um did a pretty big trade that same week that i picked up tyler boyd after week two was um i dealt ezekiel elliott and marvin jones to daniel mather we actually had a little discussion about how he had gotten james connor so because i had you know drafted Lev bell i was making it a big point to go get connor at all costs so we did this trade flipped him zeke and marvin jones and he's a big cowboy fan so i think it greased the wheels there and i got back james connor and then melvin gordon austin eckler in return so I think that trade actually ended up being a huge win for us in retrospect. And um, I then sort of prematurely flipped Connor a couple weeks later for Juju Smith-Schuster, who I do love. I think Juju's a complete stud. Um, I'm sure you'll be on board with that. And I mean, that, that trade ended up kind of hurting me a little bit actually in the regular season, but got a little bit lucky in that um, Connor was hurt during the playoff run. And even though he probably helped people get to the playoffs, he you know wasn't really helpful in terms of winning. So that trade was definitely pretty helpful considering I, um, you know, I needed a wide receiver too. My, my wide receivers going into the year were pretty weak. So yeah, man, I think, I think between that, that, that was kind of, I guess the blueprint for this year was, um, was able to make up for it with some really strong, I guess like cheaper draft buys and then, uh, you know, a shrewd free agent pickup and one to two pretty good trades. And I think that was how it came together. 
Okay, so look, I got to admit, I have been avoiding talking about fantasy football pretty much at all costs. Um, <laughs> ever since uh, my team once again flamed out, which, like the Dodgers, is an annual tradition at this point when it comes to the playoffs. Um, yeah. And can you humor me just for about 30 seconds while I vent about it? So yep. here's the thing. This year, this this would have been the equivalent of the 16-0 Patriots losing after, you know, in their first game of the playoffs way back in 2007-2008 because, dude, I was just clearly a cut above everyone else. I averaged 15 points per game more than any other team, which was you. I had two more wins than the next closest team, which was also you. Um, and then just – I got off to an inauspicious start, right? Like your boy came down, he gets yeah. and he gives me a fat zero. And, you know, fantasy football, everyone knows. It's not like real football. So it's like once the guy goes down, you can't sub anyone else in. You just got to eat that zero. And my team, which had not scored under 100 points all year, ended up scoring only 85. Um, we lost by eight points. It was still a very winnable matchup. Yeah. Fast forward to the next week, too. I still get my brains uh, bashed in in the consolation game. Even though <laughs> if I had actually just found a way to squeak by in the week before, I would have destroyed you in the championship. So instead yep. of getting 1200 bucks, I get $0 as usual. And it's just another year for me to kind of lament what could have been. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. The only thing that I don't agree with is, what do you mean that you would have beaten me in the championship? I my team way outscored yours in the final week. If we, I just would have rolled out the same exact team, I would have destroyed you. Yeah, I did not though. From what I remember seeing, I remember seeing I had I had one thirty. I think you had one twenty six. What? Hey, what? No, that's yeah. not my. Favorite. Yeah, that's true. I'm gonna go look it up right now. Go look it up. <laughs> All right, one second. We'll do some. We'll do some live lookups here. Um. Yeah, that was the only reason I was I was thinking in retrospect that I mean it was. No, too no, hard. you're right. Was, yeah, I would, I would, you know, fuck it. I would have blown that week too. So about this, this is where I every year kind of talk about how you know what, I'm just over fantasy football. <laughs> my blow, you know, I have these great regular seasons and it just it means nothing. Yeah. And, uh, of course, I'm gonna bitch and moan about it for nine months. I'm gonna still play again next year. So. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, you do. You do this. You act like you're you're completely out, and then you're you're back in the next year. But you act like we're forcing you back in um no but i <laughs> but i think i hear you actually i think um i i definitely understand it just because i felt like i'd been kind of in similar spots in recent years like last year i don't think i necessarily deserved to win necessarily but i had a similar kind of year and maybe not quite as dominant but it was like one of those years where first in standings first in points you know you're pretty hopeful and then you flame out you know your first matchup and i, I think similarly i did not cash out last year i think i lost both my matchups so it was super frustrating but I think also the other piece of this um, that I'm kind of feeling now, but I was, you know, that I was kind of in a similar spot is I think it's just been a while since you, since your Bundy team won, you know, your 2011, 2012 strong run. Yeah, and I think yeah. you're just getting antsy again. Cause that's how I was feeling it. Now that I, now that I, you know, I was able to win this year, I feel like I'll be a little bit more mellow going forward. If I don't know if I don't get as lucky or whatever, like whatever, I kind of, I was able to at least get that one, but I think you're ready for your next taste. And you know, it's getting frustrating to postpone it a year. I guess. I mean, I've kind of gotten over at this point. I really couldn't have crafted a better team. I think, like, I, it, yeah. I think it's so about getting the playoffs, as you like to say, and then hoping it works out. Because, I mean, I'm not going to ever have a team that has Gurley, Saquon, uh, Phil Lindsay on the cheap. Like, it's just, it's not going to work out like yeah. that again. For me, so, yeah, I think the other thing is, it's almost like a philosophical discussion. Is you know, like we play fantasy baseball too, for example. Like in those in those leagues, oftentimes. Um, because it is just that full season kind of thing, like at least the Roto, you, you, I guess the, the better teams do tend to win more. Whereas, you know, football, it's like you want the you, it to make the playoffs, I think, is a ton of skill just because it is that 13 week sample or whatever. 
But then once you're there, I mean, there's just so much goddamn volatility that a lot of times like the, the quote best team, you know, from the regular season doesn't necessarily win. So it's just kind of like, which one do you want? Is it, do you want like the, the up and down, but a little bit more engaging kind of head to head football? Or do you want more of the, you know, the longer term slog where it's, I mean, maybe it's not quite as engaging, but the better teams win. I, I know we go back and forth on that all the time. And um, I've just yeah. tried to, I've actually started to lean into it more um, over the years, the the unpredictability. I know you used to ca- cap on me all the time for um, being against it. I mean, but here's the thing though. I mean, for you, it's a win-win, right? Because this really couldn't have been the, you know, you couldn't have picked a better year to start the Rotopope website and podcast because <laughs> up roses for you, right? In, in fantasy baseball, you won it. In fantasy football, you won it. So, and you've always been a dominant fantasy basketball team. So, it just seems like whatever the format is, you're finding a way to do it. So, for the listeners out there, they probably should listen to you and just whatever I say, just try and go the opposite direction on it. I don't think so. I think you, I mean, you built like a pretty elite team this year. Um, and I, I still lost in a pretty major football league in the other one where I, I flamed out in the first round of the playoffs there, too. I mean, we were not quite the same year as you, but, um, you know, like second in points. Pretty good, pretty good season, but barely made the playoffs and the succeed, and then got ousted in the first round. So that was that was pretty frustrating. Still, um, okay. So look, I'll stop bitching and moaning for the time being. Um, I did want to ask you, just when it comes to the season, you know, let's do a little recap here. Um, do you have any like fantasy MVP or MVPs that you wanted to tell me about, or even an LVP? Which I can have yeah. some thoughts on that one. I think I actually have a lot of thoughts on both. So yeah, let me know how deep you want to go here. Um, but at least on the MVP side, I wish I, I mean, I wish I could really narrow it down to one guy. I mean, we could talk about a lot of these guys and I think I know who I would choose just because I'm biased, but I, the first thing that I wanted to look at was I went to go just look at, I think ESPN put something out on who is, um, on most of the, who, like who is, who are the most common players in the championship teams? I think that's a good way to look at MVP. Um, and so like there was, I think roughly like seven, players slash a defense on 30 plus percent of the championship team. So that was McCaffrey. Then you had the three chiefs. So Mahomes, Kelsey and, and Tyreek Hill. Um, yeah. You had Adam Thielen. I think, you know, he, he had that pretty historic start to the season. And then you had the two rookie running backs, your boy Saquon, who was amazing this year, then Nick Chubb. And then you also had the bears defense. So right. I think, I think, I think that's a good place to start is, you know, who are the most common players on the championship teams? I don't know if you have a favorite there, but I want to call out one guy specific. Or I'll call three guys there, but I'll call it my first favorite. And that was, you know, my guy, Patrick Mahomes. I don't know if um, you or anyone else realize it, but we just saw the best season that a quarterback has ever had in fantasy history, at least since 2000. I don't I didn't have any data beyond 2000. What, so yeah. it was better than Peyton Manning's 55 touchdown season was because he Correct. had this, what, more rushing yards, maybe? I don't know. You know, I actually don't know what it was exactly. But And so um, what I should say is that I don't really know what Peyton Manning did in week 17, but I only looked at week one through 16 here. So I think wow. if you looked at 17, Manning may have um, passed Mahomes on a points per game basis, but I only looked at weeks one through 16 because, you know, it's the fantasy season. Um, and yeah, Mahomes was the first QB at least since 2000, again, I just got as far as the data I had went back um, to ever crack 30 points a game. So he had 30 points a game this year. And then you're right. Absolutely right. That the second was Peyton Manning 2013, where he had 29.8. And then Aaron Rodgers 2011, where he had 29.6. And just to highlight, I think <clears throat> maybe the level of MVP, because usually you hear quarterback, you know, you wait on quarterback just because there's not really a giant difference between them all. If you know, like they did, they, they all score a lot and they're all kind of chunked together. But the number two guy this season was Matt Ryan, um, who was also who I was actually also kind of high on this year, at twenty five points per game. So that's a five point difference. I mean, that's 
that's pretty big. You don't really see that all the time. So he he provided a pretty pretty massive edge there, particularly considering he didn't cost very much. So I think that's why you see a player like that drive, you know, like the year that I had, for example, in the Shady League. Um, well, let me, if, you, if you'll let me, let me jump to my LVP real quick then because I think that kind of piggybacks on Mahomes and a question I wanted to ask you. Um, I don't know if he's necessarily the LVP, but he's got to be in the discussion, I think, would be someone like Tom Brady where he was ranked yeah. second overall by most spots coming into this season, ESPN being one of them. And he ended up being ranked 14th overall for quarterbacks, which is, as you know, right, it's middle of the pack. Um, yep. Something there then where it comes down to just you shouldn't really be paying for quarterbacks because you were able to find Mahomes for two bucks. You could have just as easily found, you know, Matt Ryan, who you mentioned, right. who obviously didn't cost a lot either. Um, or you could have paid up for someone like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady and then just been, you know, uh, e- eating the cost pretty much. Yeah. No, I, I actually had him. I had in my LVP section, I, I wrote um, highly drafted QBs and I wrote Rogers and Brady in there just because, yeah, they were like the number one and two guys off the board, roughly speaking, and relatively like high picks, high, like a lot of draft capital. Yeah. Sink into them. And Rogers, he ended up finishing the year pretty well, but I think it got buoyed by that giant week 16 he had. And for like, considering the rest of the year he had, you might not have been in that position to even capitalize on that. Cause he was actually only the QB 10 going into that week. Um, and he was drafted, you know, pretty unanimously as the QB one. So that's a pretty big fall. And then, yeah, Brady, I actually had him as the QB 18. There may have been some other, cause I was looking at a points per game basis, but there may have been, you know, some other names that kind of got caught up in there, but yeah, he just, he didn't have a very good year. He wasn't that good, man. It was, I, I agree. I, I think that was a uh, definitely not a good one. Um, and I wonder that I had one other LVP that I think this guy might be one of the biggest LVPs to me personally, just cause I was most affected and that's your boy Gronk. He's just, I guess he's just not Ooh. the same anymore. I don't know what happened, but he had a, dude. he's a corpse. Yeah, really. Yeah, he is right. And I was expecting him. I don't know about. I mean, I guess I was kind of expecting him. Is um, I was thinking he was going to have a big bounce back season, especially considering some of the injuries they had early in the season or, or suspensions, like with Edelman out. Um, and I think you know Michelle was kind of banged up to start the year, and so I was expecting a big Gronk year at least to start, especially and um, sank some pretty big picks into him, like you know first, second round kind of picks in a, in a couple of leagues, and yeah, obviously did not work out well. So he's he's my personal LVP. I mean, the rationale made sense, at least at the time, right? It was where, as you just mentioned, a lot of guys on the Pats were out. So everyone was really, and I, I think you were, 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 if I'm not mistaken, you were on the Chris Hogan bandwagon a bit as well. So I was, yeah. Him and Gronk because if Brady's out there, he's going to get his stats and he's got to be thrown to someone. If they're healthy, you got to kind of maybe roll the dice on them and it just it clearly didn't pay off. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't include Hogan on the LVP list, but yeah. at least from a personal perspective, just because he didn't cost really enough, but you know, from a personal perspective, not only did I sink $86 into Lev Bell, but I think we sank like $12 or $13 into Chris Hogan as well. So, I mean, really almost like $100 that would have almost been that had the same kind of impact had it just been lit on fire. Because I think Hogan might have delivered one good week and eventually he was actually just dropped, not even uh, not even traded or anything. So that was um, that was two pretty rough picks by us. Right. I didn't want to step on your toes there, though. Was there anyone else on the MVP side that you felt compelled to mention? Well, I mean, I mentioned those, I mentioned those initial set of guys, um, within that same list, there was two other guys that I thought had pretty crazy seasons that were worth discussing a little bit further. Um, the first guy is Travis Kelsey staying on the chiefs theme for a second. Um, he, for a while, I think he had him and Ertz were almost going back and forth for the best tight end season we've ever seen on a perfect points on a PPR basis. He ended up finishing as a sec tied for the second best PPR season we've we've ever seen by tight end. So he finished with 19 points a game, tied with Jimmy Graham's 2013, and only behind your boy Gronk's 2011. That was prehistoric. That dude, that had to have been a crazy run, by the way, to be able to 
experience that. So not only did you get the best, and this is your Bundy team now, your 2011 team, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, not only did you get the best tight end season in history, um, but I don't think it cost you like anything really. I, I want to say that you picked him up, you know, before the start of the season or something like that. Like he wasn't even drafted. Right. He was a waiver pickup. And I remember at the time, uh, this was pre murder, of course, but everyone was kind of touting Aaron Hernandez as uh, tight end to have in that two tight end system that they had. Yep. Um, and I remember, I mean, again, no one cares about 2011 at this point, but Gronk had 10 touchdowns in his first year. And I was like, well, okay. Oh, maybe, maybe okay. We sit here and see if, you know, we can nice. do it. There you go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, uh, that clearly was like a massive league winning kind of edge that you were able to to get there. So yeah. Um, anyways, though, but Kelsey, second best um, tight end season we've had. And then I guess on, on a, a keeping with the similar theme of just historic seasons, your boy Saquon just had the best rookie running back season we've ever seen by both half and full PPR standards. So in standard, I think Zeke's 2016 beat him, but in terms of just half and full PPR because of how big he was in the passing game, that was the best rookie running back season we've ever seen um, beating Zeke's 2016 in, in, in those areas. So, um, I mean, I think they, they also just kind of speak to a, maybe just a, a league wide trend this season where we just saw a lot more scoring, at least at the first part of the season, a lot more scoring really fun season. In my opinion, I know, um, I know winning probably helps, but I think even without that, it was, it was a very enjoyable season. No doubt. Um, this is uh, tangential, but I mean, maybe we should get to it. Um, was there anyone that really stands out as like your biggest surprise from the fantasy season? I think so. I think so. And I, I, I um, had a couple of these guys as part of maybe additional like shout outs to mention um, in terms of my MVPs, just because they weren't drafted yeah, and they didn't really play that well. And I think these guys are also, these guys are, yeah. I mean, just funny how these two were the, in my opinion, <clears throat> maybe the biggest surprise when you considering what they cost. Um, and that's Philip Lindsay and James Conner. So I actually chose Philip Lindsay yeah. as my biggest surprise. Yeah, only because he, I mean he looked really good out there, and I think with him especially, um, you know, I, I had done some some draft reading in the off season, and he wasn't completely off the radar to me, only because he actually scored like he had like the highest like dominator rating according to some of the sites I was looking at. So he um, he was a really really productive back in college, but he's just so small that I think he yeah. you know kind of went completely unnoticed to the NFL. I think he's like what like five seven or five nine, like one hundred ninety pounds. He's a pretty thin dude. Right. really productive in college. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty crazy. That he com- came out undrafted was pretty damn good. He outplayed his higher drafted rookie teammate, Royce, Re- Royce Freeman, um, by both like yards per carry success rate, however you want to look at it. So I thought that was pretty impressive. Um, pretty, pretty surprising clearly. And I'd put James Conner, maybe, uh, a, a notch below that. Yeah. So obviously I'm right there with you, uh, with you with Lindsay, because I was lucky enough to pick him up the first week, um, on our, on our waiver wire. Yeah. And, yeah, there was a. I'm not sure if he finished the season leading the league in uh, yards per carry, but he was up there. I think up to week 15. Um, and so, if you were able to get him for you know a waiver bid or just get him at the end of your draft, you absolutely killed it because he was top 12 for running backs uh, at the end of the season according to ESPN. And he was, he along with like Tark Cohen. Cohen was I think number 10 overall. Those were like the only two names that you really didn't see in the top 15. Oh, yeah. Uh, the ESPN and other sites had ranked before the season. Other than that, it was actually uh, pretty cut and dry. If you know, if you had Todd Gurley, if you had Saquon, they were ranked high right. before the season. They ended up performing well throughout the year. Um, so it was kind of difficult to kind of crack that upper echelon of running backs this year. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think I think you're you're hinting at something that I also think made this season pretty enjoyable. In that you know we could we could talk LVPs pretty much all not maybe not all day, but there's there's quite a few that we could point to. But really, on the whole, like relative to most years, I want to say that 
this year was like, I, I know you don't really like this word, but this was kind of chalk and in kind of a good way, though, where a lot of the guys that were drafted in pretty big spots for the most part delivered. And there were you know certainly exceptions. But I think relative to the typical year, I actually want to say that this year was pretty cool to see, you know, a lot of the highly drafted guys deliver for the most part. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, um, I will. I wouldn't say it was a surprise necessarily, but I, I think for the year, and we've talked about this multiple times on the pod, um, and I'll just be a homer for a second. I think we all kind of were unsure of just who to really go with on the Rams receiving core, and uh, Robert Woods ended up having you know twelve hundred yards on the season, same with Cooks. Um, I, I guess I wouldn't call it you know necessarily a huge surprise, but Woods kind of you know adding fifty percent to his previous career high in receiving yards that that was a bit surprising for me. No, I think I think absolutely so, and I think uh, I've, I've already talked about it twice on this podcast, so I won't bl- belabor it. But Woods uh, himself was my biggest tilt of the season, just because, like I like I said previously, um, you know, one of the pieces of analysis that I try to do is just kind of tell you know, like kind of the computer, like based on these projections, what would be my optimal lineup, and based on what we think they'll cost, sort of thing. And yeah. Woods showed up in like every single lineup, and I was just super dismissive of it. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not really buying. It. I don't think he's that good, man, and stuff like that. And so it's pretty crazy to me that I ended up with him on zero teams, despite, you know, drafting at least like five or so. Um, so definitely my biggest tilt. So surprising in that sense, given that clearly I did not see it coming. If like the computer was trying to jam him, you know, onto me, but I still was not seeing it. Right. And, um, so look, you don't really strike me as someone that's going to be celebrating too much in the off season. You kind of strike me as more of a Nick Saban type where <laughs> you when you know, two hours later, you're back in the office trying to figure out how you're going to, crush all of our dreams again next year. Um, so I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, just like an early quick look ahead to next year. Um, do you have like a early sketch of what your top five would be for next year? Um, <laughs> maybe, is there even someone that we don't know about yet? Like a Saquon coming in. I don't really follow college football ever since USC football died. Um, is there anyone coming in that we should know about that might be able to crack the top five? Yeah, I, I saw you, I saw you include this question on, on the show sheet. Um, it's a really good question. I honestly don't know. I, I I don't really, I'm like you, I don't follow college that closely, especially during the season. I mean, I do take an interest in the draft, absolutely, and, and where these guys land. And then I like to dig into some of their prospect profiles and and better understand, you know, like what kind of prospect they are and things of that nature. But I don't really do that this time. So I, I really don't have anyone good there. Um, I don't really necessarily even have like a top five, but I can at least, I can kind of, I guess, humor the question in a sense, like where I think how it might actually fall. Um, and I guess like my rankings would kind of be probably pretty similar. Um, so I, and I, to do, to do this, I basically just looked at, um, the per game of this season, just because that's typically a lot more predictive than just looking at total points. And so, um, I mean, really, I think, I think like a clear, like roughly top seven to nine ish sort of emerges, at least from the running back position. And, uh-huh. Um, I think that you'll pretty much see these guys at the top of the draft next year, maybe even before wide receivers, at least these first five to six guys. And so at least this year in terms of, um, basically like opportunity based, or I guess like, yeah, based on like opportunity points sort of thing, or I guess, um, I don't know, like expected points per game this season. So your top five this year were Gurley kind of by a wide margin, yeah. Saquon, Zeke, Kamara, and McCaffrey. So I think we'll see those five guys at the top um, by actual stats, um, looking at half points PPR per game. Uh, Melvin Gordon works his way into that to that uh, discussion, um, buoyed by quite a bit of efficiency and touchdown looks. I, I'd be hesitant to push him actually ahead of those guys, but um, I think that's sort of your top six. I think there's a couple others that are close, like James Conner, for example. It depends on um, you know what what happens with the Steelers. Let's see if they 
draft another running back, for example, or, or whatever. But I think he's got to be pretty high up there. And then um, I don't know what to do with David Johnson and Lev Bell, but they're like not that far removed from pretty damn historic seasons themselves, like that 2016 year uh, for both. And then I think Lev um, had a pretty elite 2017 year as well. So we'll see what happens in the offseason in terms of um, let's see how the Cardinals uh, you know, improve their their line and, and the weapons in the passing game. Um, and then also let's see where Lev Bell lands. So those guys could be in the conversation as well. But I think that's pretty much like your top, you know, six to eight, particularly on the running back side. Look, at first blush, I think I wouldn't want to get fancy with it if I had a first uh, the first pick and just a snake uh, sneak draft. Yeah. Uh, you'd probably just go with Gurley, assuming he's healthy and that he's obviously still in that great system that McVay has. Um, yeah. I'd be tempted to go Saquon first overall, though, because if he was able to put up these stats on a complete shit offense this year, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, he has the corpse of Eli Manning throwing the ball. Odo Beckham was banged up for about half the season. Um, and he was still, you know what, he was like a top three player overall. I'd be yeah. no, I'd be willing to go out there and see if he can maybe um, go to another level even. No, absolutely. And even though he cost quite a bit this offseason, that, that's why I sort of had him in that MVP conversation, at least to highlight his historic rookie year. Um, just because, yeah, I mean, I think he's uh, – there's quite a few credible arguments to make that he's already the best running back in the game. He's just – Super yeah. talented, both running the ball, p- catching the ball. And it's pretty crazy that he was able to put up the numbers that he did considering how bad that offense was. So um, I, I, I'm with you I'm almost exactly to the T. I'd, I'd still take Gurley number one, given he's you know very talented himself and in a much better situation and a much more high-powered offense. But I think I could see people taking Saquon as well. I mean, super young dude too. And I don't think Gurley's getting old by any means. But um, you know, obviously, you tend to lean towards the younger guys at the running back position more so than others. Um, so, okay. Anything else on the fantasy football 2018 recap or, or what, do you, what do you think? Is that a good place to put a pin in it? Well, I, I had a couple more thoughts actually, both on, on 2018 and, and 2019. Um, one, <laughs> wanted to round out some of the additional MVPs that I'd written down. So I, I talked a little bit about Philip Lindsay and James Conner as just those guys that pretty much went undrafted almost and still got you at least close to the championship. Did want to give really to the James Conner, a shout out to my guy, Jalen Samuels, who I was pretty big on this season. I think, um, especially if you had Connor this year and you were really, um, proactive, especially once Lev Bell went, I think when he decided not to report around week 11, there really was no reason not to roster Jalen Samuels at that point, in my opinion. So if you had Connor and, and Samuels on your team, you were probably pretty good getting to the playoffs and then doing pretty well there. Um, also want to give a shout out to my guy, Tyler Boyd with his third year breakout. And then we talked a little bit about Gurley. Um, he did, he, he really was on, and I feel like I've been using this word a lot, but I think it's just because of the nature of how um, many points were scored this season and how the offense were. But Gurley was on a you know historic pace for a while, and I don't think he was necessarily a, a really big threat to to take down the, the the best running back season we've ever had. But he was in the conversation for a while. Why, why do you say he wasn't a big threat to? I mean, halfway through the season, he was. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's because, yeah, th- yeah, maybe he was actually then. Um, I was just, I, I was looking all the way back because I looked at it by week is why I say that. I, I looked back as far as I want to say week 11. He was still like a solid two points per game short of like those Marshall Falk years where it was like 32 points a game, those Priest Holm years, those the LT years, so like kind of that Mount Rushmore of running backs. But I mean, he was definitely in the conversation. So um I think he still had a pretty amazing year. Um, and yeah, I think you're, I guess you're right. I, I probably didn't go back far enough, but halfway into the season, he was on pace to outscore those guys. So um, pretty crazy. And I, he still, even with that Saquon year that 
that Saquon had, um, Gurley still outscored him by three points per game. So that's he was, you know, far and away the the best running back, and I think um, better than many quarterbacks as well. So pretty pretty crazy year for him. No doubt. Um, the other, the only other two MVPs that I mentioned, they're not really MVPs. They were just like oddball seasons. And the the first guy is, um, they're both almost like the same in that they were like on. Like, have we ever seen seasons where these guys were like on pace to be LVPs because they were somewhat high picks, and then somehow they actually turned their season around in a way like you could almost argue they became MVPs just because of how cheap they became midseason. And and those two were. Derrick Henry. So he was drafted relatively high. Dude, he was complete waiver trash for a while. Like no one, like there was no credible reason to want him on your team. He was just waiver yeah. trash. Then all of a sudden he comes out of nowhere with like a 50 point week 14 playoff game. I think he had another big game after that, another big game. So I think if for whatever reason you had him stashed on your bench and you started playing him in the playoffs, um, I don't know why you would do that, but if you did, uh, dude, I think he actually might've won some people, some, some leagues there. So that, that's a really odd one. And then same thing with Pooper, um, a guy that I had pretty high hopes for. We talked about on this very pod into that trade and uh, when he got straight to the Cowboys. And um, I mean, he was terrible on the Raiders. And once he went to the Cowboys, he he was kind of up and down, but he had some pretty big league winning weeks. I know he he took he sank me in, in a league that I played him against 256, our friend Billy. Um, yeah, I think he had like 40 points that week at like a 200 yard game with like two or three touchdowns. So um, I think he like kind of revived some teams in the middle of the season to maybe help them get to the playoffs, especially if they acquired him really cheaply, which I know at least in one league, um, I just got fed up with him and traded him for almost pennies, traded him away actually in a league that Eric and I kind of split ish. Um, so that I thought those were too funny, at least worth calling out as like oddly LVPs turned pseudo MVPs. Right. Um, I mean, I think those were two good calls and I'm, I'm struggling to think of like a, a real world or pardon me, a real life, uh, comparison for that Henry like about face where uh, someone just sucked all year long and then they yeah. turned into, like a, a darling in the playoffs. I mean, the, the first one that kind of comes to mind is remember when Joe Flacco for four weeks turned into the best quarterback in the league and they won. Apples to oranges. And that's like the only thing that comes to mind. I know. And the other odd thing about Henry was that he was like the second guy for like, he started the year as sort of like the nominal starter, I guess you could say. And then, he got outplayed somewhat predictably by Deion Lewis, who I think is pretty good. Um, and so you just kind of assume like, yeah, I mean, this makes sense. Henry's this big physical specimen, um, big dude, really fast, but for whatever reason, not particularly productive at the NFL level. Deion Lewis, who has been productive at the NFL level, surpassing him on the depth chart. Okay, it makes sense. And then somehow, like very late in the season, Henry <laughs> flips flips the switch and all of a sudden Deion Lewis is the guy taking the backseat. So super odd. Um, and I know at least in one of the leagues that I'm in and the family league that I'm in, um, my cousin, she rode Derrick Henry to at least a second place finish, like out of nowhere. Um, her team wasn't even that good in my opinion until all of a sudden he started playing pretty well. So I thought that was, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And I think, the, I think the Derrick Henry thing kind of highlights maybe what really burns me up the most about football where, because on the one hand you compliment someone and say, Hey, like, you know, God bless on having the balls to actually start him in the playoffs. On the other hand, you go, well, you have shit for brains if you're starting this guy in the playoffs because <laughs> all year. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't make any sense to play him. So I don't know, man. Like sometimes you yeah. just kind of throw your arms and go, okay, that's just how it went. I, I think so, especially for that week 14. I th- I'm almost positive it was week 14 where he just busted out with that 50 points. So like I, I couldn't imagine many people starting him there. Maybe afterwards, all of a sudden, you're like, okay, now he's worth starting. But yeah, I would agree. That, that's, that's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much all I've got for the MVPs. I didn't. 
I don't really have any other LVPs. I think I think the only big ones that we didn't really touch on were some of those bigger name running backs that were really just headaches um, pretty early in the season. So like that was like Dalvin Cook, Fournette, and Devontae Freeman, pretty much all because of injuries. But those guys, if, I think if you sank a lot into them, they probably um, torpedoed your season quite a bit. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think that's all I've got for at least for 2018. I don't know if you have anything else for 2018. I, I've got some additional thoughts for 2019 though. Um, no, again, I'm trying to just avoid looking uh, <laughs> back at 2018. I'm all about 2019 at this point. It's just there we, there we go. every investment standpoint in my life, whether it is cryptocurrency, stock market, was <laughs> just a shit year. So I'm just trying to move past it. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, I mean, yeah, the market was, that was a rough year for the market. Maybe that's why you don't like New Year's because like New Year's is the time where everyone, and I get kind of annoyed with this a little bit too. Everyone's talking about, and I think some people just do it as almost like a character of themselves just to be you know, funny or ironic or whatever it is, but like the new year, new me kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> even the new year's resolution and new year's resolutions are fine. I think I'm, I'm all about like a growth mentality and, you know, looking ahead and setting goals and that kind of stuff. But it's just like a little bit too much cool. at that time of year. And especially you as a, as a big regular gym guy, I'm sure you get really pissed oh, off in the it, new year. It's just, it just packed to the brim with people half assing <laughs> and and yeah. and show that they're oh yeah that's the worst the, 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 they're not going to be there yeah exactly so I, I can understand that um but yeah it, 2018 was a tough year from an investment perspective for sure um i mean looking at 2019 though i don't know about from an investment perspective but i do have some thoughts because you post some questions and i thought they were pretty interesting so i um you know i i I haven't really started looking yet into specific players per se, but if you want to, I can, I can talk a little bit about, at least like I started to think about a little bit like how, like the framework in which I'd approach it. I don't know if we want to get into that though. No, I think we kind of hinted at it right with the trends. Like for instance, I think we're both kind of on the don't overspend on a top quarterbacks kind of thing. Like hit me with some more. Okay. No, definitely. So, I mean, man, I don't, I don't know if I really have like those kinds of crystallized ideas yet. Maybe I, maybe I do. Um, and we can talk about a little bit, but when I was thinking about this, like what I'll start doing for 2019, there was really three key pieces of analysis that that came to mind that that I plan to do and that I typically like to do. So the first one is I like to start with more of a macro analysis. So really trying to assess like which teams will be the best, which teams the most improved, et cetera. Because ultimately I want to taste, you know, the best offenses across all of my teams as much as I can. So I'll look at things like, you know, who's projected to have the highest scoring offenses, like who does Vegas like the most to win uh, for the most wins and like who's got the best offensive lines, best skill position players, and maybe even look at schedule a little bit. So those kinds of things that don't necessarily, you know, it's not really like fantasy specific analysis. I just like to call it more macro analysis because of that. But I do think it's a helpful input when you're looking at fantasy. So I think I'll start there. And then I think that'll serve as a helpful input for the other two pieces of analysis that I like to do. And then the first one of those or the second one um, in this list is, really trying to identify like where, where are the mispriced players? You know, that that's like one of my favorite things to do about fantasy. That might be one of my favorite things about fantasy in general is really trying to find like who those guys that are mispriced may be. And I'm probably not particularly, um, you know, good at it. And I'll probably do it just as average as anyone else, but I think it's a fun process to go about doing. And so um, what, whatever that might be, whether it's due to in terms of finding these kinds of guys, like maybe due to offensive context, um, supporting cast, like regression of certain volatile metrics that maybe they underperformed in the year prior, whatever it is, trying to identify who those guys might be. And I, you know, talk a little bit about who those guys might be for 2019 um, in a second. But the last piece I would do after that is um, in terms of the third piece of analysis is 
I feel like once you kind of know who those mispriced guys are and you, you kind of have a sense for like who those targets would be kind of going back to like the Galladay discussion, the Mahomes discussion about how those guys are practically free. I think at that point, um, and I think you had alluded to this as well, it helps you like save some of that draft capital and then you kind of know, you know, who those cheaper guys are that you absolutely must have. And then you at that point know like, okay, well, if I know I really want these guys, it's going to save this much for me. And now I can deploy those savings into some higher price guys. And so at that point, another thing I like to look at is just of the higher price guys, you know, who do I like the most in terms of um, who I think might be able to make another jump if things really came together. So like, I think Christian McCaffrey was a good example of someone like that this year who I wasn't on, but who would hopefully be a target of that kind of analysis. And then um, the other piece that I think might actually be more important is like, who are the biggest landmines that you really kind of want to avoid. And I think a good example of that this year, again, who I did not envision this, but like maybe kind of a fade list, so to speak, would have been like David Johnson. He was going you know, yeah. in the top four, um, but I think people weren't giving enough credit to how bad that offense might have been. And so he was a little bit of a landmine in that sense. So I think that would be the last thing I would do when I'm looking at the high price guys is who has that potential to jump again. Like maybe that was a McCaffrey, maybe even that was a Juju Smith-Schuster in that sense. And um, who's got the potential to sort of be a little bit of a bust in like the David Johnson type. So I think those three things will probably be my I guess you could say like analysis framework that I'll really start hammering away for as 2019 approaches closer. No, I like that. And since I make every comparison back to my Rams, it's kind of like when they brought him <laughs> to play, right? And uh, Gurley was just coming off an absolutely dreadful year under Jeff Fisher, but you know, he was young, he was healthy. They're putting in a new system. You're trying to kind of like find, you know, uh, I guess value there where people have kind of written them off when really the player probably is fine. It's just, they need to be put in a better system. Um, Goff was yeah. going from, first year or second year quarterback uh things like that no absolutely absolutely and and i i'm not sure if we'll ever see like a ram situation quite like that where we saw like it was almost like every like the like the, the perfect confluence of of things in terms of you know you got the 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 rookie the the really good prospect rookie quarterback who's making his jump to the second year you know so there almost always we'll see uh, a big jump sort of regardless um you had them investing in the offensive line you had them bringing in new skill guys in woods cup I think they brought in Watkins that off season as well. And then he brought in McVay as well. It was like, it's going to, I think it's going to be hard to find that kind of thing again, but I agree. That's almost exactly what we're looking for every year is those kinds of things coming together. So, I mean, I mean, it changes every year. I'm trying to think who, like what, what that could look like in 2019. Um, yeah. Um, initially it's escaped me a little bit, but I think one example of that, like, I guess it goes back to that mispriced analysis, but one guy that came to mind this year that I liked quite a bit, that sort of fit those things was Matt Ryan just because he had that MVP year two years ago. So we knew he was capable of that kind of production had sort of the down year. So that's where you see some of the maybe more volatile metrics jumping up and down. And I generally try to fade that kind of stuff as um, you know, it's just sort of volatile. And so like, especially things like touchdown rate and things like that. So that was kind of down and they also added some more skill players. Like they drafted Calvin Ridley in the first round who I wasn't particularly a big fan of on his own, but just another weapon for Matt Ryan. So looking at those kinds of things, uh, I wonder if there's like a good 2019 team that comes to mind there. I gotta, gotta think about that more. I think the only team that maybe initially comes to mind might be like the Panthers could be kind of frisky, surprising. Although I'm sort of worried about cam shoulder. Um, maybe um, like uh, a small dose of the McVeigh factor that we just talked about. Um, I mean, something like with like Aaron Jones or something with the Packers getting a new coach and they've always been kind of weird about using Jones. I don't know what the situation is, but maybe, I don't know, maybe he just outperforms what he's been doing the last year or two. 
Yeah, I mean, he was quite good this year too. So we'll see. I think he'll be kind of pricey, but I would agree. I really like him. So that'd be that'd be nice if he if he wasn't particularly pricey going into to next season. Um, anything else around the 2019 front, or uh, what, what do you think? Maybe we should talk gambling real quick. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely got more on the 2019 front, but we can always save that as well. So I, I had a few I had a few notes for. Uh, no, let's empty the chambers right now. Come on, keep it coming. <laughs> um. Well, so I, 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 so I like I kind of set up that you know that that framework or whatever that I was thinking about, and then I put some thoughts down for in terms of the um, the missed price piece. So I think we talked a little bit about the quarterback. I really like to look at context when it comes to quarterback. So like that's like the guys like Matt Ryan. I think Mahomes will stand out a lot there, as you'll see. They're in offenses with quite a few very good skill position players. So I think that and pretty good offensive lines as well. So I think those are the kinds of guys that'll stand out there. And um, <clears throat> across the other positions, one thing that I'm looking forward to digging into this offseason is looking at who the the rookie crop of running backs are. So I need you touch on this. Um, a lot of times those guys will be expensive, but like maybe there's some sort of arbitrage opportunities in terms of guys being um, just as good of prospects as other guys, but maybe they're not in the best situation initially. I think someone like Nick Chubb this year comes to mind where he didn't start the year, but he was a quite a good prospect on his own. And so like, who are those kinds of guys that we should be looking at? Um, I think I'll also be interested in looking at some of the second year guys. I think that's really the year where we see guys somewhat mispriced just because, you know, you see them struggle a little bit in the rookie year. And then all of a sudden there's this jump in year two that we don't really see. We don't see quite that same jump on average between other years. And for whatever reason, it doesn't tend to be priced in as much. So I'll, We'll take another look at some of those year two guys, um, particularly those that looked like good prospects, but may have lost some shine. So I think this year those could be um, like Rashad Penny on the Seahawks um, and then also your boy Ronald Jones. So, I mean, they had pretty rough rookie years, but um, I mean, they look like decent prospects coming out. So maybe give them a deeper look and they'll probably be pretty cheap. At least your boy Ronald Jones, man, I don't don't know what happened to him, but uh, do you think he's good? I thought so, but apparently it's he—he's like <laughs> in the NFL or something, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what that. I thought he was a pretty good prospect too. I, I didn't watch him nearly like you. I, I just more look at the metrics, and I thought he was, a, you know, a relatively good prospect. Um, so we'll see how cheap he is next year. But like, those are the kinds of guys that I'll that I'll go try to find, and you know, guys that just one year ago there was some reason to like them, and then they had a bad, really bad rookie season, and yeah, you know, I just try, maybe try to fade some of that noise, especially if they're pretty cheap. I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty similar process for wide receivers. And this might be my favorite position to tackle because that is the position where we really see that those young breakouts. And so that's the focus of my analysis is especially those second year guys, um, but also looking at the third and fourth year guys. So I think this year that would have led you to guys like Galladay and Godwin, Chris Godwin as as second year guys. Um, You know, Godwin didn't have a a great season, but Galladay had a pretty solid season. And then looking at third and fourth year guys would have led you to perhaps like Tyler Boyd or Tyler Lockett on the Seahawks. So looking at those kinds of young guys who, who haven't quite broken out yet, but you know, we like them as prospects. And I think next year, a couple of guys I'll look at a little more closely is um, at least ones that come to mind initially are, I think a lot of people will like Calvin Ridley as a second year guy. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I'm not as crazy about him, but I do like DJ Moore and Christian Kirk. I don't think they'll cost very much. And um, you know, the, again, second year guys, the only thing that worries me is just their respective offenses. Um, Cam Newton shoulder. And then that Arizona offense kind of stinks. So that that's something I'll look into for wide receivers um, in terms of again this mispriced analysis, and then um, tight ends. I don't know; it's a crapshoot. Um, I really don't know tight ends all that well. They're they're kind of like I kind of think of them. I don't know if you think of them like this, although you've been a Gronk guy in the past. But 
they're kind of like, um, like sort of like catchers from baseball or QBs in football where you, I don't know, you just kind of want to wait on these guys. Um, I try not to pay too much usually, even though I was a big Gronk fan in a couple of leagues in this year, just because they do have quite a bit of year, year to year volatility and relatively high injury rates, kind of similar to running back. So I'm not crazy about paying up for the top guys, but if I think the top guys aren't landmines, I'll at least try to assess like what I'd be willing to pay for like a Kelsey or an Ertz, for example, if I don't think they're landmines. Otherwise, I'm looking at, again, the young guys, um, particularly the promising prospects and especially the guys coming into like their age 25 to 27 seasons. I think tight ends a little bit different from the other positions and that takes seems like a little bit longer to learn because there's more of like, I think it's just more of a nuanced position where there's more blocking involved, maybe you need to learn, need to learn blocking schemes and then you also need to learn to run routes. There's a lot to learn. So it takes these guys longer and usually it's that age 25 to 27 season that we start seeing a breakout. So I'll probably look in that range to see if there's any guys that were, you know, really promising prospects haven't quite broken out yet. And I, I didn't do that going into this season, but I think that would have turned you on to someone like Eric Ebron, maybe where dude, he was like a top 10 pick and he was really bad for a while to the point where the Lions just cut him in a somewhat unforgivable move, at least in retrospect. And then um, he ended up having a really strong year with the Colts. So I think that'll be, um, at least from a mispriced analysis, how I would probably go about tackling each of those positions. Yeah, just briefly, I've kind of went in a 180 direction where, as you mentioned, I would always just pay the big bucks for someone like Gronk. Um, now I kind of went the other way, although last year I was pretty animated about going after Jack Doyle. Um, yeah, it was a good one. I noticed, well, I noticed like in the past, he had some good synergy with Andrew Luck, and Luck was coming back from energy, uh, from injury. Um, so I wanted to be in on that. And of course, Ebron ends up being the one that gets all the touchdowns this season. <laughs> the tutties. Um, yeah, I mean, that was weird. I think, I think you were right on that one though, to be in on Doyle. And I think he just got hurt. Honestly, and that's what happened. And I don't, Ebron didn't really play amazingly, um, until Doyle got hurt. And then that's where we saw Ebron, um, kind of pair like that crazy touchdown efficiency with more volume. Cause otherwise he wasn't even on the field that much. And he was kind of that red zone guy. They, for whatever reason, really like going to him there, but otherwise he was like, playing, I don't know, 40% of the snaps or even less when Doyle was, was healthy. Yeah. I think that kind of just, I'm chalking that one up to the process was pretty good. As you like to say, but the results were yeah. pretty shit. And he was cheap. So I think that was fine. Yeah. Um, anything yeah. else on the 2019 front? No, I think that's all I've got. Um, but yeah, to your point, I do kind of like, I do enjoy the the process. I like thinking about these kinds of things and yeah, always trying to refine the process and, uh, you know, every year, like there's always a bunch of big tilts. I'm always trying to figure out how can we learn from those, like the Robert Woods thing, for example, and things like that. Gotcha. Okay. Well, uh, just real quick look. So this podcast probably coming out over the weekend where, you know, it's, it's wild card weekend. We're gonna have four games going on. Um, you and me, we've, you know, we've been dabbling a bit this year in gambling, uh, on the NFL. Um, do any of these lines stand out to you? If you've even had a chance to look at them yet? I did, dude. I, I gotta tell you, I, I'm gonna have to turn this one back over to you. I have, I really didn't like anything. I mean, first of all, there's not that many games and I think there probably is a lot of action going into this week, especially at this point. I mean, what the game starts tomorrow. So the lines are probably like somewhat efficient by now. Yeah. Um, the, there's a couple that kind of stood out. So I, I'm not taking any action this weekend on any of these just because I didn't like any of them enough, but there was a couple that, you know, like maybe I could talk myself into a little bit. This first one I definitely would not do um, because I'm a Charger fan, but <laughs> I think sadly that Ravens money line of minus 140 might be a mild value. Um, I'm not taking it, and I'm still uh, really annoyed that the Chargers tricked a couple of games this year that has them in this spot in the first place, an underdog on the road against 
pretty good team. So um, a little annoyed there. And then, yeah, I don't, I don't really like any of the main lines. I only looked at money line spread and over under. So maybe there's some good player props. Um, but the only other ones that I think there was actually only one other that I even considered that I still wouldn't do is the, um, the over on 41 and a half for the Eagles and bears. Otherwise, yeah, I think I'm just kind of out on, on gambling this weekend. What, what about you? Like, did you, did anything more in, interesting cross, cross your path? Yeah. So look, I'm trying to go back to my, my gambling roots uh, from the beginning of the 2018 season, which were uh, at the beginning of the year, I had quite a bit of success doing teasers, which usually I'm actually kind of against. Um, but for this weekend, I'm actually kind of feeling your chargers with the bears and I'll walk you through it a bit. Um, okay. I'm actually very bullish on this bears bet because um, although the six and a half line is a little too high for my taste, I do want to get in on the bears because they were ranked first in uh, football in, or pardon me, football outsiders defensive rankings for the entire year. And if you look at the last 10 teams that have finished first in football outsiders defensive rankings, you know, this isn't like rocket science, right? They're usually going to be pretty good. So only yep. two of those 10 teams have ever missed the playoffs. Out of the next eight that actually did make the playoffs, all of them made it to the championship game of their, um, of their conference at worst. Two of them won the Super Bowl, another two lost the Super Bowl. So usually you have a Final Four team when you have a top defense. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah, so the Bears are at home. I kind of like that one. Even if, you know, Foles is playing, he might be a bit banged up. Um, I want to tease that one down to half a point. Just hope that they squeak by. Um, even though, personally, I'd rather see the Eagles win. I'm kind of terrified of the Bears playing against my Rams again after they mauled them. Yeah. Yeah, but just setting that aside, and then for your Chargers, look, I know that they've already lost at home to the Ravens, but I mean that game kind of got a little sideways on them. The the Ravens had a you know two turnover advantage on them. Um, I don't know, man. Like I just I don't see the Chargers necessarily going out there scoring ten points or less again. Like I, I think they might be able to get something going there. I don't know. Talk me into why you're so kind of high on the Ravens there. I'm not high actually. I just like I was looking at some numbers and I was like it could be a mild value. Um, I think probably a lot of people are are like you that they at least you know they see the the Chargers twelve and four record um, on the on the road so they're I don't know like the Ravens maybe should be favored a little bit more is my point but yeah um, especially with Lamar Jackson they they've been a lot better with him I I, I still like the Chargers I'm, I'm definitely not taking that bet I'm I'm um, you know looking forward to that game I'm just it just worries me is, is all I'm not I'm not looking forward to it in a sense that kind of like you with the the Rams playing the Bears like it makes me nervous. It just seems like the Ravens play them so tough all the time. And especially with Lamar Jackson there. So I'm really hoping we don't crash and burn the first round after, after such a promising season. Sure. Well, one thing that kind of, I guess could maybe up your, uh, your hopes a bit here. Uh, I don't know if you read that pretty good profile of Philip rivers the other day in the ringer uh, on the ringer.com, but they were showing that, you know, ever since he's been the quarterback for the chargers, they've made it to the playoffs six times. All six seasons, I think they've won at least one game, hmm. uh, if I remember that correctly. Wow. So that's been impressive, even though they've actually never even been to a Super Bowl through River. So they're always kind of like yeah. hanging in there. They're in the mix, but it never really comes to uh, fruition for them. Yeah, that's, that feels like how it usually is. Uh, man, I, I hope so. Though. That'd, be a, that'd be nice to at least win one game. I mean, I'm hoping for better than that, but don't want to go out in the first round. Those are the two Sunday games. I'm going to be honest, for the, the two Saturday games, which are the Colts at the Texans, Colts are only a point and a half dog on the road. And frankly, I'm kind of confused by like why they're getting so much love. They, they did kind of get their shit together at the end of the season, but Houston's at home. They're only a point and a half favorite. I don't know. I kind of like that one. The other one that kind yeah. of threw me off is I think 
if I was using my brain, I kind of want to bet on the Cowboys here as a two-point favorite against the Seahawks at home. Um, but I don't – just like something about it, like I just want to stay away from that game because I feel like my boy Cheat Carroll versus <laughs> – just like I don't know. Even though the Seahawks' run defense has been pretty mediocre, it was right in the middle of the league average this year, and they're going up against Zeke, I just – I don't know. I feel like the Garrett might, you know, do some stupid shit. Might run out of timeouts with, you know, eighteen games <laughs> something like that. Yeah. No. Exactly. Um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't like any of those either. I, I, I'm kind of with you on the Texans one. If I had to lean one way, I'd go that way. The Hawks, Cowboys. I don't even know. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm like I said. I, I got zero action this weekend. I, I don't like anything enough to, to take a strong stand on on any of it. What about just quick, you know, off the cuff Super Bowl picks? Um, yeah. I can't really remember what you picked before the year. Dude, actually, I, yeah, I'm glad you. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm going to stick with what I picked before the year, even though I'm kind of scared of the Bears. I'm going to stick with my Rams taking on the Pats, getting some revenge for that Super Bowl. What was it, 16 years ago or 17 years yeah. ago? This I was going to say, like, I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that. So I don't, I don't need to ask you now because you already mentioned it, but I was going to say, like, I should be asking you. I was, I was looking, I was listening back to our pod in early September where we talked about this and, I mean, even if you were being a little bit of a homer, I think you were all over it. You had the yams versus the Pats with the yams winning it. So, um, whereas, like, I, dude, I was listening. To, I was like tatting shit teams like the Packers, the Vikings over the yams and the NFC. <laughs> Not over them per se, but uh, yeah. Having said that, I did. I I don't even remember this, but I apparently I had the Pats against the Saints in the Super Bowl. It feels like a really oh. random selection with the Pats winning. Unfortunately, um, I think it's because I liked the pats road to the super bowl more like i was more confident in the pats making it in the afc than i was the saints in the nfc right so yeah i guess i had the pats over the saints with the pats winning it um i don't know i'm not i'm not going that way here today though but i just thought that was kind of funny well you gotta give me something though we gotta pin you <laughs> on some bed so give, come on give me your super bowl pick right here okay here. well um okay so I, I went two ways with this question though so that, i guess if you're wondering who i think is actually going to win this one's tough because I've got a lot of biases, right? So I've got my, I, I have like a little, you know, I've, I'm a big Mahomes fan now and I've got a shit $25 bet on the Chiefs at plus 550 that I did, you know, whatever it was like six weeks ago or whatever. So I have that. So I've got a little bias there. Obviously, I'm a Charger fan. I'm a golf honk too. So trying to be objective here. Um, it's tough though. But ultimately, I came back to um, the Chiefs. I don't know. That's, that's just where I'm landing. I think. It goes back to my original AFC logic before the season, so I'm not totally flip-flopping in this sense. But even if I think the Saints and Rams are probably a little bit better, which you know maybe they are, uh, like to me, they almost—I don't know—they they almost cancel each other out. Like I'm scared, basically, and I'm sure you are a little bit too. As a Rams fan, just like the AFC, the NFC looks tough. So I, I I feel less confident like projecting a team to make it out of the NFC than I do the AFC. And the AFC is not a cakewalk either because you've got the Pats. Um, you know, you got my Chargers still. So that's the way I'm going. And I guess it's almost kind of like how we bet on the Dodgers for the MLB, right? Where you don't necessarily like them to win it all per se, but you kind of feel confident in them making it. Right. And because of that, you think there could be value in the line. So that's where I'm at with the Chiefs. And so that's why I'm, you know, I'm taking, taking them to win it all. Um, you know, it's a little bit risky just because I, like, I know like since Hunt went out, he running back doesn't really matter that much, but he had been a pretty good pass catcher for them. And, um, Hill and Watkins have been banged up and it seems like their offense slowed down a little bit. So I'm, I'm a little bit worried if they're all healthy, I'd feel a lot better about it. And who knows, maybe the line would be better if they were. So don't want to go too far down that road, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still buying Mahomes and, and the chiefs. And it seems like you got a little value there because I'm looking at it right now. Um, the chiefs are a little worse than five to one favorites. 
Um, yeah, the, I saw plus 450, I thought, was the last I saw, but it could be different on different sites. Which is second okay. best one for the Saints. Um, my Rams, I'm actually kind of tempted by the plus 600 on that one, but uh, I might just stay away from that one because, as you mentioned, right, it just seems like the NFC is a, a total gauntlet between – Yeah. I keep making it sound like these Trubisky-led bears are just absolutely terrifying, but I kind of am freaked out by them after they completely mauled my boy Goff in Chicago. And then yeah. the teams do win that game at home, uh, they would still have to go to New Orleans, which is always tough. Yeah, and yeah, Goff kind of like, I'll do like shit the bed a little bit down down the down towards the end of the season. I wonder if it was related to like the Cooper Cup injury at all, and that just impacted the offense or like what it was. But hopefully they they get back on track. And I know that they also. Um, and maybe this is related to the chiefs too, but dude, they had like, they played for what, like 12 straight weeks and they didn't have a buy until week 13 or something like that. And so like, maybe they were just kind of worn down and hopefully both of these teams having buys now that they'll have like two weeks off considering their buy. And then this, you know, the, I'm sorry, considering their week 13 buy and this playoff buy, you know, two weeks of rest in like four weeks is, or five weeks or whatever it is, is probably feels pretty good in the NFL. So maybe they will be, relatively rested or something i don't know I'm, I'm grasping at straws here but um hoping that that means that they'll be a little bit sharper in, in the playoffs than they had been down the stretch yeah and i was reading i think it might have been barnwell he, he did an article about how teams that falter down the stretch in the regular season uh in december it doesn't necessarily correlate with how they perform in the playoffs okay made me a little happier it's still a little yeah. concerned that you know Gurley missed a few games with that knee injury as you mentioned Goff has kind of turned into like Jeff Fisher Eric Goff um there's a lot of uh, your boy CJ Anderson from Cal he's been balling but like yeah. a lot of CJ Anderson uh for a team that didn't have him about three weeks ago so hey he looks kind of fat out there too I'm just it's he weird is. I'm not a huge fan of CJ Anderson but whatever I kind of have a soft spot for like fat football players <laughs> especially the running backs I guess but um yeah, so by the way, so when you asked, we had, when you asked this question, I did mention that I thought there was two ways to go with it. So I answered the part where I, who I yeah, think is actually I going to win. So. It seems like you're like hedging it. You already put in like your preseason bet. Now you have one, and then you're going to do a third one. Well, no, it's it's <laughs> it's. I'm saying who I think is actually going to win. I'm I'm definitively saying the Chiefs, but then I'm also saying if we want to uh, approach it from a gambling perspective, we could look at it like who do we think maybe is the best value concerning the yeah. odds. Okay. Uh, so I took a look there too. Um, the, the short is it's kind of similar to this weekend where I don't think there's necessarily a ton of value out there. A lot of, uh, a lot of the lines were either like pretty efficient or I just thought they were like bad basically to bet on. Um, but there were a few that stood out notably, even my chiefs at plus four fifty I thought Ooh. was still good. I, I don't think I doubled down on it only because I already had plus five fifty, but I thought that was a pretty fair, if not a little bit of value line. Um, so those were that that was a mild value. The other mild value is you talked about these guys already, um, and that's Cheat Carroll's uh, Seahawks again. Another like little mild value at plus twenty eight hundred. I think. I mean, it's super hard to actually envision them winning, so I wouldn't go ham on it. But just in terms of what you're getting paid out as relative to their actual odds of winning, it like that could be a mild value at plus twenty eight hundred. Um, and then the last one that might actually be the best like value bet per se of, of all of them might be another team that you touched on. Um, but I think you might actually be more bull. You might be more bearish on them. And that's the, uh, the Eagles at plus 3,300. Oh. Um, again, I wouldn't go ham on it just because it's like super hard to envision a team that like really didn't look all that good this year. I think they were just like really banged up or something. Um, and it's really hard to see a team winning it two time, you know, two years in a row, but I don't know. I think plus 3,300 might be the best value on the board right now. Um, you know, uh, I would say like I would say that the Chiefs and the Hawks at plus four fifty and plus twenty hundred are mild values. I think the Eagles actually might be a pretty decent value at plus thirty three hundred. So 
I'd throw a little shit bet there. Um, not much, but those are like those are kind of the teams that I'd at least look to bet on from a value perspective to to win it all. I mean, there you have it. Um, okay, then. Okay, I'm gonna stick with my Rams. I guess I'm gonna go down with the ship. Yeah, there um, you go. I mean, man, it's fine. I'll go Chiefs. All right, good stuff, bud. All right, what do you think? We close this one out. We go into our usual curb your enthusiasm top ten countdown. Um, yeah. This week we're on uh, episode seven, I believe, in our ranking. I think before we get into it, real quick, we should give a, a shout out um, and just you know pour one out for Bob Einstein, aka Marty Funkhauser, on the show. He passed away a few days ago at the age of 76. Um, I don't know. He was one of my favorite ancillary characters on the show. He's probably maybe just behind Richard Lewis on the show is one of my favorite uh, Larry friends slash frenemies. Yeah, no, definitely. Got to got to pour it out for the uh, the funk man. Rest in peace. Um, you know, I actually was not as big of a Funkhauser character fan I as you. I didn't, I didn't dislike him. I just, I, I didn't, he wasn't my favorite, but I, I still like him. Um, and yeah, definitely, definitely rest in peace. I mean, he was a great character on the show and, um, you know, definitely, uh, definitely a little bit young. I thought, even though you, I mean, he wasn't young per se at 76, but you know, you definitely don't, uh, expect people to, to pass away at 76 all the time, um, nowadays. So, uh, rest in peace there. Yeah. I'll let you, uh, do the honors, I guess, kick it off with your number seven and then I'll, I'll take over with the, uh, the second one. Yeah, dude, I feel, and I feel somewhat out of touch with Curb, although um, all of a sudden my family recently started watching a little bit more, so I've been catching Whoa. little tastes here and there of it in the background. And some of the first seasons are pretty bad, but there was a there was one on that I think I might have already talked about on this podcast even, and that was the, where they helped the blind man basically move stuff around, and I thought that was pretty funny. Um, yeah. So this one is not those early seasons. This one's season eight, and I might have to ask you to help me out a little bit with this one just to make sure I don't forget anything because I think a lot went on in this one. Um, that This was that really, really nicely done season eight, um, the oh. penultimate episode of that season as well, and that was oh. Mr. Softy. Oh. Um, <laughs> this, this one was really good in a lot of respects. I, I wish I would have watched it recently just so I could have captured it all, but this is the one where that same ice cream truck noise triggers that painful memory that painful childhood memory for larry like that little ice cream chime and like he even yeah. does it to his therapist it's like just his voice is so annoying as he's doing it um i don't know i think i think that's kind of like ld's i think that's part of his like comedy too because in seinfeld they had something like that too where i think jerry and george were like um they were re i guess uh reenacting like the siren noises in la to the cops they were like, like why are the europeans are like i am like they're both doing it and stuff i don't know why he likes that kind of humor but it's pretty funny um so he's doing that i think he was fighting like his that same therapist's fees too so like when he'd see him like out and about he would like <laughs> talk to him and then the therapist would charge him for the time um and just perfectly though I love how this one ties together because it's got a little personal twist to me that I think might actually help push this one up beyond number seven yeah. is um, so this is the one where again, like that chime makes Larry like just completely lose focus. And so there was a play in the championship game of a softball game of a softball league where he's playing first base. And I think he's got like a very basic grounder at him to close out the game. Might've been the last out even. And then the chime goes on and, you know, he gets distracted. It goes right through his legs and so he basically Buckner's it. Um, <laughs> and then he eventually comes across Buckner later in the episode. And I think they both, you know, talk about that a little bit and helps Larry feel a little better. And like Buckner's super calm about it. He doesn't really get pissed at people yelling at him and heckling him and stuff. So 
It was pretty funny. Cause I actually saw Bill Buckner at, at free training. Yeah. Bill Jackson attitude. He says, I could walk around and people are cursing him out. It was kind of, <laughs> yeah, it was kind of what? It was kind of cool to watch, but also kind of, yeah, no, it was, I, I liked it. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in this one. It's, it's, it's a good one. I got, I got to rewatch it. Uh, maybe I can give a better storyline, but yeah, anything, I know there was like another little storyline too of Larry's girlfriend at the time, like her son who Larry thinks is gay or will be gay. gets him like the, um, the sewing, yeah, pre-gay. He gets on the sewing machine and then he also teaches him how to draw a swastika on accident and like Hitler stuff. And, um, because of that, the kid like sews Susie a, uh, like a nice sham that has a swastika and they'll get pissed at Larry for teaching him. Um, so yeah, this is a good one. Anything else missing this one? I, I don't think like I told the story very well, but it's, it's a good episode. There's a lot going on. No, I'm happy you brought that one up. I have a uh, suspicion that that's going to come up in my top 10 as well, because I think it's one of the more beautiful, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, episodes in Curb history where it's really sweet what Larry does, where, you know, Buckner, he's been getting shit for, you know, going on 30 years at this point about making that terrible error. Um, and then he redeems himself at the end of this episode where he saves a fight. Um, and it's just, it, I I think when I watched it, it might have almost brought a tear to my eye. It was like that. <laughs> yeah, how could, I, how could I have forgotten that? I think that's like the biggest part of the episode. Yeah, you're right. And I think I might, I don't think I talked to Buckner about that specifically, but I just said that I really liked him in the Curb episode. And he was telling me that um, roughly one in four people that come up to him now talk about the Curb episode. So talk wow. about Larry really like shifting the you know narrative around Buckner. That's pretty cool. Wow, that is really cool, and I think that was really. I, frankly, that's makes it one of my favorite episodes. And yeah, I forgot to mention that you had bumped into Buckner on a personal level, so that's kind of cool. I did, and I think um, I think we might have somehow tried to include that in that collage that we built for you for Christmas. <laughs> so I think you've got it. Yeah, yeah, that was a great gift. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, that's um, all I got for mine. What about okay, you? Um, I'll go with um, season seven, episode four better known as the hot towel. And this one kind of surprised me. I watched it <laughs> over uh, winter break, even though it wasn't much of a break. Um, I watched it, I think on uh, Festivus and I, you know, this one, like, you know, when I first saw it, it didn't really jump out at me, but watching it again, maybe it's the recency bias, but I love this episode. And um, just go give a quick recap. Um, Larry, he pesters his, his doctor for his home address and phone number. Um, he ends up, swinging by his doctor's place after um, this guy is chasing him down because Larry had been going out with his girlfriend. Larry's running from house to house in the um, neighborhood. You know, he's trying to get, he's seeking um, sanctuary and he's not really oh, getting it from everyone because he's wearing the one shorts. Yeah. He's oh, wearing oh, shorts and they gross everyone out and they gross out Ted Danson and he kicks him out. Anyway, the, the reason I really like this one is because it's like quintessential curb slash sign where they bring up stuff that just comes up in real life. And then like you, you kind of can go both ways on this one. Um, you have Larry complaining to Christian Slater at a dinner party about how much. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> As Larry mentioned, there's kind of the unwritten rules, right? It's like, you know, you're not supposed to just completely hog it all. And you know, that's <laughs> What else? I mean, for, do you remember this one at all? Does this one ring a bell? Yeah, dude, I, I'm I'm looking up. Like, I don't even remember. This is the one that he's that he's running around uh, in in the the shorts. Yeah, and, and well, so one other thing that I I wanted to ask you about was uh, Larry gives a three hundred dollar gift certificate to Ted Danson and his wife Mary. Oh, exactly. A very fancy uh, Italian restaurant in L.A. And Larry is like mortified when he bumps into them at dinner, but instead of bringing Larry, they brought Jeff and Susie. Yeah, yeah. And 
I kind of want to ask you, like, where do you kind of fall on this one? It, like, if you're going to bring anyone, should you be bringing the person to <laughs> gift or is it you know what they gave me the gift i can take whoever i damn well please yeah no i think i don't think i'm on larry's side on this one i think i think dancing can take whoever he pleases i mean i guess it kind of depends um like if, if you're really close friends with them i would think at least if it was if i was dancing i would think to include that same friend that gave it to me but i don't think dancing is um required to do so so i think larry made like too big of a deal of it i'm not on his side on this one but i at the same time like dancing's a little bit of a you know, he's kind of a little bit of a prick sometimes. And <laughs> if I was him, I would have considered taking Larry. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that one. You're right. It's not a requirement, but it's like it, it's like equal friend level, which yeah, to be for Ted. It's like maybe Ty goes to the gift giver in this one. Yeah, exactly. Jeff, Jeff's gift, Jeff and Susie's gift was they had yeah. Sam, their daughter go up and sing a, just an absolutely dreadful song for everyone. <laughs> Larry cuts in halfway to yeah. Uh, I, well, so dude, that, that's why this one doesn't make sense to me. But if this is the same one that he's running around, this is the one also where he tells her to shut the fuck up when she's singing yes. in the morning. Oh, so he's, he's asleep. Yes. He's, yeah, you do. <laughs> by seeing me singing in the shower, I think. And he's just, yeah. he's like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then like Susie yeah. comes in and kicks him out. So if that, if again, if it's the same one, um, it is. he had, I think he had to have, if he if he was running around, I know he went to his doctor's house at what point. You know, I always enjoy that doctor because it's the same actor as Bookman as well. He's yes. I really like him. Um, he must have visited his doctor at some point, and I think you remember he was like super insistent about getting his his personal phone number, and so because of that, he had given him a call at one point, and then he's like, they "Call my servant." Yeah, and accidentally, he's like, he's like, well, what? So he kept saying that. Um, no, I, no, I didn't call you. It was an accident. And he's like, well, we're on the phone. And he's just getting, the doctor's getting all pissed off. And then, you know, when he shows up at his house, he's like, first you're calling my personal son. Then you're showing up at my house. So he's just getting really pissed that Larry's sort of infringing on the patient-doctor relationship. Uh, I think this doctor really likes to keep things very separate. So I, I, I enjoyed that side no, plot as well. Right. Now, Bookman, uh, who is, uh, his, his real name is Philip Baker Hall, the actor. <laughs> this guy's like one of those just like, top of the line guys that like you don't know their name but like when you yeah. see them they put in great work uh, yeah he's actually still alive he's uh 87 years young Whoa. right now and uh i think for christmas 2019 i might try and uh send him a, uh, a note and ask if i can get a signed headshot and send it to you <laughs> yeah you should man that's that'd be pretty cool uh <laughs> actually yeah exactly yeah so uh, this this is a good one I don't, i'm i wonder if i have this on my list anymore but i, I like this one this one's I'm just really, I think when I'm reading, um, you know, I quickly refresh my memory reading like the quick Wikipedia thing. Like, dude, this, I feel like this Wikipedia t glances, glosses over a lot of stuff. It doesn't, yes. like, I don't even, why was he on an airplane with the hot towel? Too? Like, we, it was called the hot towel, but we didn't even touch on it at all. Right. So it's like, I think it like burns his hand. And then that's why he has to go to the doctor. Oh, that's why you had that paper on. Yeah, it all wraps. Okay. It all comes together now or wraps up, I guess, to. Have yeah. us a pun unintended there, but um, he had that wrap on his hand or that bandage or whatever, yeah. and then he was with that that girl, I guess, and he didn't realize she like it was like his ex girlfriend or something, but he right. she didn't he didn't realize she had a boyfriend, and you know so like he's at her place, they're they're hooking up, and then she's like my boyfriend's coming, she gets a call, <laughs> so he takes off, but he had left his bandage there, and I think at some point Christian Slater sees this guy and points out that it was Larry or whatever. Um, and cause this guy was looking for Larry cause he saw the bandage in, in her house. And like, who's that? And that's when he was looking for him. So 
I think that was well done. And you know, I'm, I'm looking at my top 10 right now. And I have a sense that we will be touching on this potentially <laughs> at some point as well. So <laughs> that's the a good one. Actually, you know what? I'll, I'll leave it there. Oh, no, the one last thing I wanted to mention real quick then, just uh, one more thing that Jeff and Larry talked about in this one. When Larry says he's going to go out with this woman, you know, I guess they dated 15 years prior. He asked right. Jeff, can I pick up where I left off? You know, like in the sec- <laughs> <laughs> kind of like sexual yeah. ladder, I guess you could say. And Jeff says, like, hell yeah, of course you can. You put in your time. And I think that's like spot on, right? It's like, it doesn't matter if you pick up 40 years later, right? It's like, if you ended <laughs> at that level, you just, you don't go down a notch. You just start right there again. <laughs> So that's, I mean, that's a super hard question only because I feel like we're like really not well positioned to answer that. Like we're still young enough where I don't even know if we really have that. You said what, 15 years ago. So yeah. I don't feel particularly well positioned to answer this question. Um, but I guess it makes sense. It's just like, I, I'm just having a hard time reconciling the, that amount of time is all it's a long time in like karate. If you like end it like a green belt or something and you come back 20 years later, aren't you, <laughs> you started a green belt, you don't go back to a white belt, right? I have no idea. That's the, the point is, I don't know. 15 years is a lot of time where things change. So I don't, I don't know, but it's yeah, what you got to go back to like where you're the, the very beginning of a relationship. I don't think so. Yeah, I guess you're right though. Yeah. Why would you need to, I guess you've already, you've already, you know, you've already made whatever progress that is. And I don't know why you wouldn't just go back to it. All right. Well, it's settled. Um, other than that, but I think uh, we've pretty much run the full gamut here. Uh, it's oh, been yeah. a good comeback, I think for us, anything else you want to add before we bounce? No, I think so. I really, I think you, I think you did a really nice job putting the show together. Appreciate it. It's good to be back. <laughs> thanks, bud. All right. Uh, other than that, thanks for anyone else that's still listening all the way to the end, and uh, we'll talk uh, soon, hopefully, Aaron. Yep. Thanks for listening. Plus, even just you texting me about the um, Giannis being like a favorite for the MVP just showed how out of sync I am with basketball. Like, wait, wait, what? The favorite? And I looked into it. And yeah, I mean, I just saw that the Bucks were, I think they have the best record and the best um, point differential in the NBA right now. I didn't realize that. Yeah, dude, and Giannis is like turning to DeAndre. He's averaging 13 boards a game. Holy shit, is he really? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he's got the good. He's good. I get these emails, but I got one from this like gambling house. And they always <laughs> the updated odds. To my work email, by the way. And it's that <laughs> overtakes Giannis as the favorite MVP. Oh, uh, shit. Odds. Yeah. What? I was going to say, yeah, no, I, I initially thought you had been asking. I thought that was part of this um, rundown. So I was planning to go look into like what the Vegas odds basically were on who the MVP, what MVP favorite was. And I do have a question that I've been dying to ask you. That's but I've been right. <laughs> um, That's right. Are- yeah. All right, cool. Let's fire it up. Alrighty. Oh, all right, three, two, one.